0: That is, was Sadhu Om singing the first verse of Aksharamali, which I will be, um, which is the subject I'm going to be talking about today. Um, this verse is a tremendously important verse. It is extremely deep in, uh, in meaning and in implication. This. I, as I said last time when I was talking, uh, uh, introducing this work, Akshra is the very heart of Bhagavan's teachings. And the very heart of his teachings, I mean, the very heart of Akshra Lai, he expressed in this first verse, what is the purpose of all of Bhagavan's teachings? And most especially, what is the purpose of, our, of Arunach Akshra It is eradication of ego. Where Uludu Napadu ends, there Aksramai begins. In the final verse of Uludu Napdu, Bhagavan says, um Uru uh, Aridal Mukti, destruction of uh, of the form of ego is liberation. So the conclusion of Ulludhu-Napadu is that. We can attain liberation only by annihilating ego. And Bhagavan begins life from where he ends Uludunapadu, which is an eradicating ego. This is the whole purpose of Bhagavan's teachings. And how can we eradicate ego? Only by turning our mind deep within, as Bhagavan implies in this verse. What he says in this verse is, Arunachalam ena ahamei pava hatay. Veerarupai Arunachala. This has several meanings. Um, the, the, one meaning is uh, you will eradicate e- the ego of those who think that Arunachalam is actually I. Another meaning is you will eradicate ego, the ego of those who think Arunachalam deep within the heart. Um, Deep is not there, but within the heart or within the mind. Uh, So these are the two principal meanings. There are other other meanings also, which I'll discuss as I go along. Um, uh, One word that he uses twice in this um, verse is aham. Aham is a particularly important word in Bhagavan's teachings because it is a Tamil word that means inside, mind, heart, or home. And it is also a Sanskrit pronoun that means I. So Bhagavan often used aham to convey a double meaning. Because though these Tamil and Sanskrit words are entirely unrelated as far as their etymology are concerned, their respective etymologies are concerned, there is a certain overlap in their meaning but is particularly relevant in the context of his teachings because I is itself the heart in the deepest sense of this word. That is, Bhagavan often used the word, the terms that mean heart, terms such as aham, ulam, hridayam, and so on. The heart is a, is a term that can have different meanings in different contexts so the the deepest meaning of the term heart is the very core or center of ourselves. in other words the fund our fundamental awareness i am what we actually are that is the heart of course heart is also used in a in a somewhat less deep sense to mean um to mean the, the deepest part of our mind uh, um, often we refer to the 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 emotional uh, side of our, our of our mind as the heart. So it had, it has heart has many different meanings, and we have to understand from a context in which it's being used. But the deepest sense of, uh, in, in its very deepest sense, the meaning of the word heart is I. So, uh, as I say, aham in Tamil means one of the meanings in Tamil is heart. In Sanskrit, it means I, and um, aham is often but, but uh, in the Sanskrit sense, it's often used in Tamil, uh, particularly in Tamil literature, Tamil poetry, because um, uh, in ancient times, uh, people, anyone who was a who knew Tamil well would also know Sanskrit, and vice versa. And well, in South India, those who were scholars of Tamil would also know. Sorry, scholars of Sanskrit would also know Tamil because they uh, it was. Any educated person would study both their mother tongue and Sanskrit. And since um, Tamil is a classical language like Sanskrit, um, all Tamil poets in ancient times would have known Sanskrit. So they very freely used Sanskrit vocabulary in Tamil. And of course, Tamil has in many ways influenced Sanskrit. Many Sanskrit words are of Tamil origin and also um, a lot of Sanskrit a lot of the character of the language uh, of, of Sanskrit is is borrowed from Tamil and other Dravidian languages. Um, there, there are features that Tamil that Sanskrit possesses, but it possesses in common with Dravidian languages. But it doesn't. But other, um, but other Indo-European languages don't have because Sanskrit drew uh, uh, was heavily influenced by Tamil. So. Um, they, there was, the two languages were used side by side so when Bhagavan uses the word aham in Tamil sometimes he's using it in the sense of the Tamil word sometimes he's using it in the sense of the Sanskrit pronoun I and many times he uses it with a double meaning uh, which is particularly appropriate in the context of his teaching because as I say I is itself the heart and even when we use I in a more superficial sense to refer to ego rather than to our real nature, which is its real import, as he says in verse 21 of Upadesh Undia. Um, in verse 21 of Upadesh Undia, he says, re- referring to what he had said in the previous verse, "But our real nature will shine forth as I am I. Uh, and in the Sanskrit, he says, spiriti uh, hritswayam, that the heart will shine forth, aham uh, hamteya spiriti hritswayam, that is, the heart is what will shine forth as I am I. So, um, so uh, um, in, in the next verse, in verse 21 of Upadesha Undia, Bhagavan says, that this, meaning the heart, or that which shines forth as I am I, is always the true import of the word I, um, because of the uh, absence of our non-existence in sleep. In other words, because we, e- e- even though ego doesn't exist in sleep, we continue to exist. So the real import of the word I is only our, the heart, our real nature. Uh, so the deepest meaning of the word I is, is, uh, refers to our real nature of the heart. That's the true import of the word I. But even when we use I to refer to ego, It is still inside. So however we look at it, in the light of Bhagavan's teachings, the Sanskrit word and Tamil word, that happen to be the same in their uh, spelling and in their pronunciation and form, are actually the same. There's a, a... there's a significant overlap in their meaning. So often Bhagavan uses the word aham with a double meaning, both the, the Tamil meaning of inside or heart and the Sanskrit meaning of uh, eye. Um, so that, that's why Bhagavan, in Akshayamrai, will come across many verses in which Bhagavan uses this word aham and in the other works of Bhagavan also. Um, so he uses this word. Twice in this verse, first in the first line, he says "ahame," and in the second line, he says "ahate," which is an accusative case for, form of uh, "aham." Um, in the first line, in, when he says "ahame," the "a" is an intensifier, so it implies actually, certainly, or only. Uh, and in this case, we can also it can also be interpreted. As indicating the locative case. So it can also mean in. Uh, sorry, uh, so ahame means not only actually I, certainly I or only I, but also in the heart or in the mind. Um, but the word enna is a quotative particle. So in this case it so in this case it can mean either as or that and it can also serve the same function as inverted commas in English. So, Arunachala Mena Ahamei means both that Arunachala is actually, certainly, or only I, and as Arunachala in the mind or heart. Um, uh, moreover, since ahame also means actually within, only within, or within the heart, Arunachala Mena ahame. Can also be interpreted as uh, that Arunachala is actually within, in the sense that Arunachala is actually what is deep within our heart. Um, So, these, though Bhagavan uses very, very simple words, they're very, very rich and deep in meaning. Regarding the first of these three meanings, that is, but Arunachal is actually I, or certainly I, or only I, um, as I mentioned while discussing the Pyram last time, murugana explains that, that this intensifying suffix A in Ahame can be transposed from Aham to Arunachalam, in which case Arunachalamena Ahame would be construed as Arunachalame Ahamena, Meaning that arunachalam alone is I, rather than that arunachala is only I, as it would mean if the A is not were not transposed. Um, this transposition uh, doesn't change the meaning if we take A to mean actually or certainly, because whether we say arunachala is certainly I or certainly arunachala is I. Or actually, Arunachalam is I, or Arunachalam is actually I, it doesn't change the meaning. But it it does make a subtle change in emphasis if we take A to mean only or alone. Because if we say only Arunachalam is I, that implies that I is nothing above an Arunachalam. Whereas if we say Arunachalam is only I, uh, that implies that Arunachalam is nothing above an I which is true in a sense, but it could be misinterpreted to mean that Aaron actually is not also what appears externally in the form of a hill. That is, what arunachalam actually is, is only I. But so long as we experience ourselves as I am this body, out of His infinite love and compassion for us, Aaron also appears externally in the form of this hill. Um, before I go on, uh, further in this subject, there's just one other thing I forgot to mention, that is, people who are not familiar with Tamil may wonder why Bhagavan uses it to wo- uh, refers to Arunachala here as Arunachalam with an M on the end. That is, in Sanskrit, the noun is Arunachala. Uh, Achala means what is unmoving, and Aruna has various meanings. Um, it means the sun, it means red. what is red in color. It's got several meanings. It also another meaning that Bhagavan alludes to in the verses he translated from um, Arunachya Mahapniyam. There are seven verses, uh, beginning of uh, introductory verses, to Arunachya Stutipanchikam, which Bhagavan translated from Arunachya Mahapniyam, from Sanskrit verses. In one of those verses, he points out that runam, uh, one of the meanings of runam is bondage. So aruna is that which frees from bondage. Uh, so this is the hill that frees from bondage. So there's so many meanings uh, contained within the name Arunachala. But as I say, Arunachala is a Sanskrit word. In Tamil, the nominative form of Arunachala, if we take it as an impersonal noun, it is Arunachalam. With an M on the end. If we take it as a personal noun, as it is sometimes referred to, it then becomes Arunachalan, with an N on the end. Um, so uh, arunachalam, as I say in Tamil, that's the, that's the nominative neuter form of Arunachalan, whereas Arunachalan is the nominative um, Masculine form or personal form of Arunachalam, both are the same because Arunachalam is both personal and impersonal. But here, Bhagavan is using the impersonal form. Um, so, sorry, that was just a digression. But the main thing, I, the main point I was making is when Bhagavan says Arunachalam ena Ahame. Uh, Murugana suggests going to suggest trans- transposing the "a" from the "ame" to "arunachala me," so that it so, but to make it clear, that Arunachala alone is what is sh- what shines as "I." If we take it as Arunachala is but Arunachai is only "I," that could seem to exclude the fact that um, but Arunachala also appears externally in the form of a hill. We, as he does, out of his immense love and compassion for us. Um, because so long as we're looking, so long as we take ourselves to be the form of a body, we are looking outwards, and so we cannot know him as formless. Um, that is, as Bhagavan says in verse 4 of Uluru Napadu, uh Uruvam tanayin uluhu paramatram. If oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. If oneself is not a form, uh, If oneself is not a form, who can see their form and how? So the world and God seem to be forms so long as we seem to be a form. When we recognize ourselves as formless, then only can we know God as formless. And the world will also uh, that, uh, formlessness is 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 one infinite indivisible whole because forms are every form is something finite, it's something separate from something else, from everything else. Whereas what is formless has no limits, no boundaries, and therefore it's infinite. So what when we know ourselves as formless. There is nothing other than ourselves. So God and the world are nothing other than ourselves. Um, so, so long as we are looking outwards, we are aware of ourselves as I am this body. So it's appropriate to worship our nature in the form of this hill. But when we look inwards, he is that formless awareness that is always shining in our heart as I um, so this is what Bhagavan implies in verse 3 of Arunach Ashtakam, which is a, a very, very, uh, uh, very beautiful and a, a verse very, well, like all, all the Bhagavan's verses. It's very, very deep in meaning. What he says in this verse is, Nineyan uruvena eniye nanna nilamese malayanam ni nidan. When I approach thinking of you as a form, you yourself stand as a hill on earth. Uh, if one thinks of or meditates upon your form as formless, one is like someone who wanders about the world in order to see the sky, uno lara unnida uru sarukare uru uru When one, when without thinking, one thinks of your form, uh, um, uh, one's own form will cease to exist, like a sugar form. Literally means formerly implies a salt doll immersed in the ocean. When I know myself, what else is my form? Implying what is the, what is my form other than you when I know myself? Irundane uh, Aruna Bangiri edna Irundoi. You who exist at the great Aruna Hill alone are. So that's the meaning of that verse. Um, I'll explain this a little because it's a very, very important verse. So long as we rise and stand as ego, we're aware of ourselves as a form. I am this body. So whatever idea we have about God or Arunachala being formless is just an idea or thought, which is a mental form. So. That is, many people think, oh, it's wrong to worship. God is formless, so it's wrong to worship him in a form. But even the very idea that he is formless is just an idea. It's just a belief. And every idea is just a mental form. So we cannot know God as formless so long as we know ourselves as a form. Um, So in order to uh, know his formless nature, we need to know ourselves devoid of form. And hence, even the, form, the so-called formless God that we may try to worship is just an idea, a mental form. This is the significance of what he says in the second line of this verse. Uh, uh, if one thinks of your form as formless, one is like someone who wanders about the world in order to see the sky, what what is the significance of this analogy that Bhagavan gives here? That is, the sky is just space, which is here and now. We, we We are in space, space is everywhere around us, we don't have to go anywhere to find space. So, wandering to the ends of the earth in order to see the sky close up is futile, because the sky is here and now. What we see a seemingly distant blue canopy is the very same space that we are seeing here but we are but we are immersed in here and now. So the implication of this uh, of this analogy is it's just like it's futile to wander around the world to get a close look at the sky because <laughs> however, however uh Far you may wonder, the sky still seems to be far away when actually it's here and now. So it's equally futile to try to think of or meditate upon God as formless. If we want to know him as formless, we need to know ourselves as formless. So in order to know him as formless, we need to stop thinking by turning our entire attention back within in order to see what we ourselves actually are. Because only when we see ourself as formless can we know him as formless. As Bhagavan implies in the third line, "Unuru unalara unnida munne uru uru ena uru oyam. When one thinks without thinking of your form, uh, one's own form will cease to exist like a salt doll immersed in the ocean. That is what does Bhagavan mean when he says thinking without thinking? The attention we pay to anything that paying attention to anything other than ourselves is a, is thinking. Um, so when we when instead of attending to anything else we attend to ourselves, we are we are not actually thinking, we are just being but Metaphorically, we can say we are thinking. We what are we thinking of? We're not thinking of anything other than ourselves. We're thinking of ourselves alone. So, attending to ourselves, being self attentive, is what Bhagavan describes as thinking without thinking, and he says thinking without thinking of your form. well, that's how we have to express it in English. We say think of, but in Tamil they say it more directly. We just they say thinking your form. So when when we think his form, thinking his form means what is his form? His form is that which is shining in our heart as I. So attending to I, that is thinking of his uh, thinking his form or thinking of his form. But by attending to I, we are not actually thinking. We are, we are We are withdrawing our mind from all thoughts and turning it within back to the source from which even the first thought I arises. So this is, Bhagavan describes self-attentiveness as thinking without thinking. And what is the object of which we are thinking? Of course, it's not an object. His form is not an object. It's the reality of the subject. But that which we are thinking of is only his form, which is I. That which is always shining in our heart as I, that is Arunachala. So thinking, with, uh, thinking without thinking of your form means when we attend only to I am, which is the true form or swarupa of Arunachala. And then he says, so that when we do so, mun uh, uru sarukarai uruena uru that, that is, uruwoyam uh, means form will cease, or form will, uh, yeah, form will cease, in the sense form will cease to exist. That means my form, that is my separate individuality, ego, will cease to exist when I think of you, or he doesn't even say when I, when one thinks of you, one's own form, meaning ego, will cease to exist. And then he gives an analogy, munir, um, uh, Mundia means three water. It, 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 uh, it's a way of referring to the ocean because the ocean is, the, the rivers flow into the ocean, the rain pours into the ocean and I'm forgotten what the other wa- water is. Anyway, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's in Tamil poetry where ocean is often referred to as three waters. It's a place where all water collects. Um, he, he uses the term here, uh, Sarukare. Uru, that literally means a sugar form. Um, but people may think, oh, well, it, I've heard of uh, salt, putting a salt doll in the ocean, but never a sugar doll. There's a reason why Bhagavan used the word sugar here. That is, in, in the part of Tamil Nadu which Bhagavan comes from, the Madurai area, in, in the community from which Bhagavan comes, it is considered not proper etiquette to talk about salt when you're eating a meal. So if, for example, you're having a meal and you want to have a little bit more salt, if you ask, for, uh, uh, can I have a bit more salt? That is considered as not such, a, not such a, a polite way of saying it. So conventionally, what they say is, can I have a little sugar? And then the, the host will understand that the sugar you're asking for is salt, and they'll put a little more salt on your leaf and you can add that to your food. So uh, that is why though the words sarukare literally means sakare, uh, sugar. Um, it's actually Bhagwan is here referring to a salt doll. Uh, that is, it's often the analogy is often used of putting a salt doll in the ocean. If a salt doll is put in the ocean, it dissolves and it becomes part of the ocean. Um, so uh, uh, ceasing to exist like a, a salt doll immersed in the ocean means completely dissolve and cease to exist in that. So how can we dissolve and cease to exist in our natural? In other words, how can ego be eradicated only by thinking of him without thinking? So uh, when in this first verse, like when Bhagavan says, when one think. Uh, you root out the ego of those who think of you in the heart. But thinking he's talking about is thinking without thinking of your form, in other words, being self-attentive. So only when we look deep within ourselves to uh, contemplate or meditate on the true form of our natural, which is what, what is shining in our heart as I, then only will the ego be eradicated and will we dissolve like a salt doll in the ocean. So all these, that is Bhagavan, if we understand Bhagavan's teachings correctly, he's he's talking about one thing and one thing alone throughout his teachings, whether it is Nana or Uludunapdu or Upadeshundia or Anma or any of these songs of our Tutipancham, Bhagavan is talking about one thing and one thing alone, the eradication of ego. And how to eradicate ego, only by looking deep within our own heart. Um, so the reason when I'm discussing these verses, why I often refer to other passages of Bhagavan's teachings, other portions of Aramnechra Panchikam or passages from Uludunapadu or Nana or whatever, is all of Bhagavan's teachings are so intimately connected. Uh, That is, Bhagavan is talking about the same subject, just in so many different ways, he's talking about the same thing. So Bhagavan's teachings are all about Turning our attention within and thereby merging back into our source, in other words, thinking without thinking of the true form of our natural, which is always shining in our heart. Today, we thereby subside and dissolve in Him like a like a salt doll in the ocean. So that is the when we think deeply about Bhagavan's teaching, there are so many beautiful connections because He's saying the same thing in so many different ways. Um, But what he is saying, though he says it in many different ways, it's one thing he's saying. Why does he say it in so many different ways? Because what he is pointing at is actually beyond thought, beyond words. No words can adequately express the teachings of Bhagavan. So all the words he uses, they're all just various different pointers, but they're all pointing in the same direction. They're all pointing our attention back at ourselves prompting us to look deep within ourselves to see who am I. Um, So, as I say, the reason he he describes being self-attentive here as thinking of without thinking is attending to anything other than ourselves is thinking or mental activity, whereas being self-attentive brings about the cessation of all mental activities. So, uh, so if we, if we think of ourself, all thinking comes to an end. Uh, so that is thinking without thinking. Um, uh, so since the real form of Arunachala is Atmosarupa, our own real nature, he describes being keenly self-attentive as thinking without thinking of your form. When we think without thinking of Arunatra Swarupa, the real form of nature, our own form or separate individuality will dissolve in him like a salt doll immersed in the ocean. Therefore, he concludes this verse by saying in the last line, Eneyan Arivura en, Enuru Veru Edu. That is, when I know myself, what else is my form? What else is my form means? Uh, it implies what else is my form other than you? That is, we seem to have a separate existence only when we look outwards. When we look outwards, we're aware of ourselves as I am this body. So we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are. But if we're aware of ourselves as we actually are, what are we, what is our, what is our true form? Our true form is that fundamental awareness that pure awareness that is always shining in our heart as I am. So uh, when I know myself means when I know myself as I alone, when I know I am I, I have no separate existence other than you, because you are I. And so when I know myself as I, I I know myself as you. I know that I'm nothing other than you. So that's the significance of this uh, rhetorical question. When I know myself, what else is my form? That means when I know myself, who am I, Abba, and you? you and, then he, to, and to emphasize this, he, uh, he's in the uh, final sentence. He says, Aruna uh, You who exist at the great Aruna Hill alone, well, it doesn't say alone, are, but it implies you alone are. Since Arunachala alone is what actually exists, how can we be anything other than our If we if we claim to be something other than our we are belittling our We are belittling the infinite whole by saying I am separate from the infinite whole. Uh, I I am I am God are different. I am separate from God. That is a that is a um, that is. Uh, a great blasphemy. Once a Christian missionary asked Bhagavan, is it not a great blasphemy to say that uh, I and God are one? Bhagavan said, is it not even an even greater blasphemy to say I am other than God? Because how can there be anything other than God? If God is the infinite whole, nothing can be other than Him. So actually is the, the great arrow hill That which is shiny as this great irony hill is the one infinite whole. So how can anything be other than that? Um, When we look outwards, we are aware of ourselves as I am this body. So Arunacham likewise seems to be a form, the form of this great hill, uh, which is so beloved to the heart of Bhagavan. But when we look deep within our own heart, the adjunct this body will uh, drop off from I am this body, And then Arunachala alone will remain shiny as I am. So the true form of Arunachala is that which is shiny in our heart as I am. So long as we are looking outwards and therefore mistaking ourselves to be a body, Arunachala, out of his immense love and compassion for us, appears outwardly in the form of this great hill. In other words, Arunachala seems to be separate from ourselves only so long as we rise and stand as ego, whose nature is always to look outwards at things other than itself. But when we look deep, when we look back deep within ourselves to see what we actually are, we will thereby sink deep within and dissolve in him. And thus we will see that this I, that we now mistake to be the form of a body, is actually nothing other than our natural self. So this is why Morgana, uh, suggested transposing the intensifier from Aham to Arunachalam. So it becomes Arunachalam alone is I. That is, there is no I above an Arunachalam. Um, if we if we think of Him with that understanding, but Arunachal is that which is shining in. But in, in, uh, alone is that which is shining in our heart as I. Our attention thereby goes deep within and thereby ego is er- eradicated, uh, as, as implied in this verse. So, in this, in, in this first verse of Akshamulai, the main verse we're talking about, um, in this first verse, uh, nene pava means those who think. So, arunachala mena, hame nene pava, means those who think but arunachala is actually I, or certainly I, or that arunachalam alone is I, that's one meaning. Those who or those who think but who think arunachalam deep within the heart or mind. And another third meaning is those who think that Arunachalam is actually deep within, only within or within the heart. So if we combine the first and second of these three meanings together, Arunachalamena Ahame nine pava implies those who think. Uh, deep within the heart or mind, but Arunachala is actually I. That is, we thinking that Arunachala is I here doesn't mean thinking I am Arunachala. It is with the understanding that what is shining in our heart as I, we attend to him deep within our heart as I alone. That is the implication. Or if we combine all three meanings together, we can, we can take this, uh, this phrase as, uh, implying those who think within the heart or mind, but Aaron actually is actually within, existing and shining eternally as I. That's the implication. Um, then the uh, next word is ahate. As I mentioned earlier, ahate is an accusative case form of aham which in this case is, here aham is used in the, um, well, we we can take it in the Sanskrit sense also, but it's mainly we have to take it in the Tamil sense, aham meaning the mind uh, or heart, but in this case, mind or ego, we can say. Um, We could also, by a stretch of the imagination, uh, say ahate is referring to I, uh, ego, Um, But it wouldn't be usually in Sanskrit to to put an um, an accusative case, a Tamil accusative case ending on the Sanskrit word. So, but anyway, it doesn't matter. However we take it, it all amounts to the same thing. Whether we take aham here to mean I or mind or ego, it's all the same thing. Um, And as I say, it's accusative. So it is the object of the verb. The verb is verarupai. There means root, and in some contexts it can also mean foundation or cause. And arupai is a second person singular future or predictive form of aru, which means to cut, sever, uh, separate, exterminate, or remove. So veraru means to cut the root, or root out, or eradicate. And verarupai therefore means. You will root out or you will eradicate. Therefore, ahate vera rupai means you will eradicate ego or mind. Um, Murugana, who is a master at giving all sorts of fine you all, um, all, all sorts of deep meanings in, in Tamil words, he points out that aham is also a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word agar which means sin or impurity or uh, pain or suffering. I don't know if I pronounce that right. My pronunciation is very good. In, if it's transliterated into English, it's A-G-H-A, that Sanskrit word. That is uh, the aspirated G, um, which means sin, impurity, evil, pain or suffering. So, ahate berarupai can also be interpreted to mean you will eradicate sin or you will eradicate impurity, evil, pain, suffering. Um, so we're going to see so many different meanings in this verse and in all these verses. Um, that is, Muruganar's commentary is very, very terse. But if we read it carefully, there's so many, he gives so many pointers to different different shades of meaning and different depths and levels of meaning. So Muruganar's commentary, it is not at all an easy commentary to read. Some people say it's much easier to read to understand Bhagavan Tamil poetry than to understand Muruganar's Tamil prose. But if we read it attentively, it is is very, very deep in meaning. uh, Robert Butler has translated it into English, which is a which is a Herculean undertaking because to translate Murugan is very, very difficult. Um, I, I, for me, um, I like to read the original because it's it's almost impossible to express it, it's expressed in English what Murugan is saying in Tamil. Robert has done a, a pretty good job of it. And I find Robert, though... For me, Robert's translation is not satisfactory, but it it does help me a lot to understand Murugana, though though I would express it differently if I were to try and translate Murugana, though I don't think I'm as qualified as Robert is, but Robert's translation helps me to to understand the Tamil. But of course, when I read it in Tamil, I'm able to see much more in it than it comes out in the English translation. But as I say, Murugan's commentary is it's an invaluable treasure, but it needs to be read very, very carefully. And there are portions of Murugan's Tamil commentary. Which even with Robert's English translation, I still don't understand what Murugan is saying because Murugan is extremely deep. I doubt if Robert has understood. I didn't. Robert's English translation in places it didn't really. I mean, I understand what the words mean, but exactly what. Uh, what Mulligan is implying by the words he used, I, I in places I, I'm I'm mystified. Maybe it will, maybe his words will reveal their meaning to me later on. Who knows? But uh, still, it's a for anyone who knows Tamil, it's ex- though it may be a difficult undertaking. It's really w- very very well worthwhile reading Mulligan's commentary because it's as I say, though it's very though he expresses things very cryptically, and sometimes he just in one or two words, he indicates something that you could write pages on um, because he he expresses things in such a such a uh, compact and um, often quite cryptic manner. But it's well worth any effort you put into reading Morgana's commentary, is well worth it, and if you can't understand, if you don't don't know Tamil, then Robert's uh, English translation is well well worth reading. Um, not as I say, I don't think he's fully brought out the uh, meaning of, of, of Mulligan's commentary, but it's it's almost impossible to do so in another language. But if you, if like me, you've got a a little knowledge of Tamil. But uh, not a very deep knowledge of Tamil. Then reading Mulligan's commentary along with Robert's uh, English translation is very, very helpful. Um, so anyway, coming coming back to this uh, this meaning that Mulligan has suggested here, but it can also mean you root out, uh, you will eradicate or root out sin or impurity or evil or pain. Since ego is the root of all sin, impurity, evil, pain, and suffering, being the one who commits sins and does evil deeds and who consequently experiences pain and suffering as a fruit of such actions, the principal meaning of this clause, namely you will eradicate ego, entails all these secondary meanings. However, it's still worth bearing in mind, I mean, it's still worth being aware of these other other shades of meaning here. Because this rem- this, when Murghana points out this, it reminds us that ego, but what is the root of all sin, all impurity, all evil? It is, only, um, it is only ego. We look outside and we see so much suffering in the world. We see so much evil in the world, people doing terrible things to each other. But what is the root of all this? It's all, all only ego, because who is the one who does all sins? Who is the one who does evil deeds? It is only ego. Who is the one who, who experiences pain and suffering as the fruit of uh, evil deeds done in the past? It is only ego. And when we are looking on seeing evil and seeing suffering, in whose view door does all this evil and suffering uh, exist? only in the view of ourself as ego. So ego is the, is the root cause of all these problems we see. Therefore, what is the ultimate, the ultimate aim of life, the ultimate aim of all spiritual endeavor? It is nothing but eradication of ego. There cannot be any spiritual attainment higher than or beyond eradication of ego. When ego is eradicated, what... Alone actually exists, remains as it is alone, without anything else. So there cannot be anything beyond the eradication of ego. But ego is the root of all sin, all impurity, all pain, all suffering, all evil. Therefore, the ultimate aim of 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 all spiritual endeavor, indeed, the ultimate aim of all the Endeavors made by all jivas is nothing but eradication of ego. Because what are we all seeking? Whatever, whatever good actions or bad actions we may be doing, but one thing we are all seeking the worst sinners and the greatest saints they're all seeking only one thing and one thing alone happiness from the smallest ant to the highest gods in heaven, all embodied beings are seeking, uh, all in, uh, All sentient and embodied beings are all seeking happiness. Why are we seeking happiness? Because happiness is our own real nature. We ourselves are infinite happiness. But when we rise as ego, we seem to have limited ourselves to this small finite entity, this small person we seem to be now. As this small finite person, we cannot experience the infinite happiness that we actually are. So, in order to experience the infinite happiness that we are all seeking, the only means the, the, that is, we cannot attain that happiness without eradicating ego. So, the only worthy aim in life is eradication of ego. And that is what Bhagavan's teachings are all about. Arunachala Mena, Pava, Arunachala. That is, Arunachala appeared in the form of this hill only to eradicate ego. Arunachala appeared in the form of Bhagavan only to eradicate ego. So this is what this is what Arunachala is all about. This is what Bhagavan is all about. And this is what this is. This is what has drawn us to Bhagavan teaching because this is the ultimate there is nothing beyond this nothing beyond the simple eradication of ego and how to eradicate ego only by looking deep within ourselves by recognizing that our nature is that which is ever shining in our heart as I and consequently looking deep within ourselves to see who am I This is the means to eradicate ego, as Bhagavan implies in this verse and throughout his teachings. Um, So this verse has two principal meanings. One is, uh, arunachalam, you will eradicate the ego of those who think that Arunachra is actually I, or that Arunachra alone is I. Um, And the second meaning is, you will eradicate ego, the ego of those who think Arunachalam within the heart, implying deep within the heart or mind. As I say, Ahame can mean in the heart or in the mind. It amounts to the same thing uh, in this context. Um, uh, Another meaning is, Arunachalam, you will eradicate the ego of those who think that Arunachalam is deep within. But since what exists and shines deep within our heart, as the heart, is only I, the implication of this third meaning is much the same as the, fir- the first meaning. The second of these three meanings is appropriate for those who are more drawn to Baba, that is the devotional attitude or idea that God is Anya. Anya means what is other than oneself. Anya means other. Um, and he implies other than oneself, um, which is the preliminary stage of the path of uh, self-surrender or bhakti. Whereas the first and third meanings are appropriate for those who are more drawn to ananya bhava, the understanding that God is not other, ananya, than oneself. Um, ananya means not other. So God, the understanding that God is not other than oneself, that is an Baba. So whereas Anya Baba is the preliminary stage of the path of bhakti and self-surrender, the more advanced stage of the path of, uh, of bhakti and self-surrender is an Baba. The understanding that God or Arunachala is that which is shining in our heart as I. This is what Bhagavan implies in verse 8 of Rupadesha undipara. Undi undi what that means is, rather than Anya-Bhava, Ananya-Bhava, in which he is I, is certainly the best among all. As I say, Ananya Baba means taking God to be some meditating on God as if he's something other than oneself, whereas meditating on whereas Ananya Baba means meditating on him as nothing other than oneself, in other words, as I alone. And he says, That means Ananya Baba in which he is I. That implies in which we, when we understand that he is that pretty shining in our, our heart as I, how do we meditate upon him? only by meditating on I, in other words, only by being self-attentive. So Ananya Bhabe in this context means being self-attentive. And why does he say it is the best among all? Well, in the context of of, uh, Upadesha undia, that is what he's been talking about in the preceding uh, five or six verses, is about different means of purifying the mind, different actions we can do to purify the mind. And he's been grading them. That, um, better than puja is Japa. Better than Japa is Dhyana. And among Dhyana, among Japa, better than mental Japa than, uh, than Japa uh, said softly within the mouth. And better Japa said softly in the mouth than Japa said aloud. And better Japa said aloud than Stotra's. And um, among uh, uh, and better than this japa is dhyana, um, and mental japa is a type of dhyana. But among dhyanas, rather than meditating upon God interruptedly, thats is, uh, intermittently—continuous med- meditating on Him continuously, like a river or a flow of ghee, is is uh, is better. But in then in this verse, he says, rather than meditating on God as something other than ourselves, meditating on him as our, nothing other than ourselves. In other words, meditating on him alone, this is the best among all. That means it is the most effective means to purify the mind. It is also the best among all because it is the only means to eradicate ego. We cannot, and ego is the root of all the impurities that we are trying to. that all spiritual practices are aimed at purifying the mind. What is the root of all impurities? It is ego. So the best way to purify the mind is to eradicate ego. And how to eradicate ego? Only by Ananya Baba. So, Arunachalam ena ahamei that means thinking that Arunachra is actually I, is what he describes in this verse, as in this verse eight of Upadeshundia, as Abhanaham Aham Ananya Bhavam, that is Ananya Baba, in which he is I, which implies meditating on nothing other than I, with the understanding that he, namely God or Arunachalam, is what, is shine, is what shines as I. This practice, this should not be, people often reading this superficially. Even reading this first verse of Ashramai superficially, we can take it, we could take it to mean but Bhagavan is talking here about Soham Bhavana, meditating, I am Arunachala, I am Arunachala, or Soham, 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 Soham or Shiva Ham, Shiva Ham. That is not what Bhagavan means here. Because meditating on a thought such as Arunachala is I or he is I or Shiva is I. All these are thoughts, and thoughts are all Anya. They're all other than ourselves. We, we, we were not born with the thought, I am Shiva or Soham, were we? we it, well, after we learn a little bit of Vedanta philosophy, then we know, oh, I am God. But, but that that is just an idea. It's just a belief that we have. It is not our actual experience. And so long as we're meditating on that idea, we're meditating on something other than ourselves. Meditating on the Mahavakyas doesn't mean meditating on the words of the Mahavakya, thinking, aham brahmasmi, aham brahmasmi. It means meditating on the import of the Mahavakya. what is the when it is said Tatvamasi or Aham Brahmasmi? You are that, or I am Brahman. What is the implication of that? There is no Brahman, there is no Tat, that, no Shiva, or no Arunachal, no God, other than I. He is that which is shining in our heart as I. So how shall we meditate on Him? Only by meditating on I. Meditating on any thought such as he is I, is meditating on something that is other than ourselves, so it's Anya baba Though we are thinking that he is I, we are still attending to something other than I, which is that thought, he is I. If we really understand that he is I, what should we meditate on? I alone. Because so long as we allow our attention to move away from I, even towards the thought of God, we are still not meditating on him properly. He is that which is shining in our heart as I. So the direct way to meditate on him, the only way to meditate on him without any anya, without any otherness, is by meditating on I alone. So what Bhagavan is talking about in this verse 8 of Upadesha India, and also in this first verse of Akshara is not Sohambhāvana, it is anya, an anya Bhava. That is meditating on nothing other than oneself, on I alone. Um, because what, since we alone are not other than ourselves, ananya bhava can mean can, if understood correctly, if we think about it deeply, ananya bhava can, cannot mean anything other than meditating on ourselves alone. If we meditate on thoughts such as he is, he is I, we are meditating on something other than ourselves, something that is anya, something that is alien to ourselves. So but when it is said that we should, um, in Vedanta, they often say, they often define uh, Nidityasana as meditating on, the, uh, the, on, on d- deeply contemplating the, maha, the import of the Mahavakyas. According to Bhagavan, the import of the Mahavakyas, what uh, the purpose of the Mahavakyas, why, why the Mahavakyas are there, the Mahavakyas are all... Pointing out our identity with Brahman, Aham Brahmasmi, Tatvamasi, uh, Pragnanam Brahman, Pragnan Brahman means pure awareness alone is Brahman. Or I am Atma Brahman. This very self is Brahman. What is the? the they are all pointing out the fact that Brahman is nothing other than I. So to. If meditate on the import of the Mahavakyas, in other words, to do nidityasana means to attend to I alone. Because if we understand that there is no Brahman other than I, what should we meditate on? We shouldn't be, we should stop thinking about Brahman as if he is something other than I so we should meditate on I alone. So that is what Bhagavan is referring to in this verse 8 of Upadesha Undia. It is also what he's talking about in this first verse, of Life. Because so long as we're meditating on anything other than ourselves, even on the thought he is I, we are nu- thereby nourishing and sustaining ego because we are allowing our attention to move away from ourselves towards something else. Only when we focus our entire attention on ourselves alone, will the ego thereby subside and merge back into its source. That alone is true surrender. So, though Arunachala Mena Ahame Nene Padu could be interpreted could be interpreted as meditating on the thought. Arunachalum is actually I, that is not the meaning intended by Bhagavan. Because ego will be eradicated only when we are so keenly self-attentive that we thereby cease being aware of anything other than ourselves. Yes, Arunachalum our is actually I. If we've understood that Arunachalum is actually I, what should we meditate on? Only on I, not on the thought Arunachalum is I, which is something Anya, something alien, something other than ourselves. Therefore, Arunachalamena thinking that Arunachalam is actually I implies that we should meditate on nothing above an I, with the clear understanding and firm conviction that what shines in our heart as Arunachala, as I is only Arunachalam. Because Arunachala Swarupa, the real form of arunachula, is Atma Swarupa, the real form or real nature of ourselves. Uh, which is the true import of the word "I," as Bhagavan says in verse twenty-one of Upadeshandya, but I referred to earlier. Um, meditating on anything other than ourselves is a thought or mental activity, Bhavana, because it entails a movement of our mind or attention away from ourselves towards something else. Whereas meditating on nothing other than ourself is not a thought or mental activity because it is just the resting of our mind or attention in our source in its source namely our soul as bhagavan implies in verse 9 of Upadesh india what he says in verse 9 of Upadesh india is "Baba balatinal barbanatita sabbarate rutale undipara i parabhakti tatvam undipara what that means is by the, by balam that is by the strength of meditation that in this context implies by the strength of ananya bhava or the strength of self attentiveness, being in sat bhava, sat means the state of being, which transcends bhavana alone is parabhakti tattva. Uh, bhavana here means, um, means thinking or meditation in the sense of mental activity. So, um, Attain, being self-attent- by being self-attentive, to the extent that we are self-attentive, ego thereby subsides, and thereby we remain in the state of satbhava, state, our real state of being, which transcends all mental activity. Here, bhavana implies meditation reform mental activity. In other words, meditate, meditating on anything other than ourself is a mental activity. Meditating on ourself alone is a cessation of all mental activity. So, being in Sat Baba by the strength of self attentiveness alone is Parabhakti Tattva. That is the nature or reality or true state of supreme devotion. So, uh, better than Anya Baba is Ananya Baba because Ananya Baba leads us to the state of just being, Sumayirupdu, which is uh, the, and being just being as we actually are. That is complete surrender of ego, which is Parabhakti Tattva. Um, so, uh, so, um, yeah, so as I say, Baba Balam here means the strength of meditation, and it implies the strength, intensity, firmness, and stability of our Ananya Bhava. So the implication is that by the strength of self-attentiveness, we, need to, we will subside and remain in our natural state of being, satbhava, which transcends all mental activity, bhavana. Uh, meditation on anything other than ourselves, even on the thought, he is I, Abhanaham or Soham is a mental activity, bhavana. Whereas meditation on ourself alone is not a mental activity, but a subsidence or cessation of all mental activity. So it is not a doing or karma, but a state of just being, sumayiripadu. So being you know, oh, being a state of just being, it is the state in which we do not rise as ego. So it is the state of complete self-surrender, which is the culmination. And a pinnacle of all bhakti. So, so he says that it is bhakti Tattva, the nature or reality, or true state of supreme devotion. He also implies this in the first sentence of the 13th paragraph of Nana, in which he says, Anma Chintane Tavira, Vera Chintane Kalambavatku, Satramidum Kadamol tandai isanaku alipadam. What that means is being Atmanishtaparan, one who is firmly fixed as oneself, giving not even the slightest room to the rising of any thought other than self-attentiveness, alone is giving oneself to God. So we need to be so, in order to surrender ourselves completely to God, to our natural, we need to be so keenly self-attentive that we thereby uh, give no room for the rising of any other thought. In other words, we give no room for our attention to move away from ourselves towards anything else. And by being so keenly self-attentive, we thereby remain as admonished parents. Being at Paran and being in Sat Baba means implies the same thing. It's just being as we actually are, being what we actually are, being firmly fixed as ourselves. Therefore, in order to give ourselves entirely to our natural, we need to be so keenly and steadily self-attentive, but we thereby give not even the slightest room to the rising of any other thought. By being so keenly and steadily self-attentive, we as ego will sink back deep into the heart, which is the source from which we rose, and will dissolve there forever at the holy feet of Arunachala, who exists and shines eternally in the heart as the heart, namely our own real nature, Atmasarupa. However, though Bhagavan says in Upadesha India, Anya Bhavatin Abhanahamahum Ananya Bhavame. Uh, an itemum rather than anya baba, uh, uh, rather than anya baba, an anya baba in which he is I is certainly the best among all. This is not intended to deny the value or efficacy of um, of anya baba, devotion to God as if He were other than oneself because such devotion will purify the mind and thereby give it the clarity to understand that God is actually what always exists and shines in our heart as I. Uh, this is particularly true of the name and form of Arunachala, uh, uh, because they have a unique power, that is Arunachala's name and form have a unique power to turn the mind back within to face its real nature, Atma Swarupa, which is a true form Swarupa of Arunachala, as Bhagavan knew from his own experience and as he reveals, he's revealed it in so many places, but he's revealed it most clearly in verse 10 of Arunachala Patikam. What he says in verse 10 of Arunachala Patikam is Pātanam um, Pudumei Vīvili Kanta have. Purume means I have seen a wonder. Vali kanta paruvatam means the magnetic hill that seizes or forcibly attracts the soul. Um, Vali means to force or compel, so it's forcibly attracting. Kanta is magnet and Vali is, is a, a force. Um, uh, it, for those who know Tamil better than me, please excuse my pronunciation. Often I don't pronounce Tamil very well. Um, uh, then in the next sentence, the most this is the most important sentence: "Oru darum idane, otidum weerin, satey oduki, oru tan, oru tanadu abimukamaha iru, ade tanbol achilama seedu ab inuwe bali what that means is subduing the mischievous or outward-flowing mental activity of the soul who thinks of it once, pulling or dragging that soul to face uh, towards itself, the one, uh, or who uh, can mean one or peerless. Uh, in, it implies here the, the one peerless, infinite, pure awareness that shines as I, shines within the heart as I, and thereby making it achala, achala means motionless, like itself, tambol, like means like itself, Uh, it accepts that sweet uh, soul as bali. Uh, Bali means food that is offered in sacrifice. So accepting that sweet soul as bali means he will will swallow this sweet soul. So when we are nicely ripened by uh, thinking of him, Uh, deep within our heart we will finally become ripe enough but we will be sweet and tasty and he will then swallow us as his as a sacrificial offering so we by turning our attention within and uh, holding on to self-attentiveness we are allowing ourselves to ripen and thereby we are offering ourselves to him and he will when we are fully ripened he will accept us as a sweet offering, and he will consume us. And then in the next sentence, he says to en," that means "what is this?" implying "what a wonder is this." And then, he, in the final sentence of this verse, he says, "or, or to, or to, uh, to we uh, min, we uh, that means, ought to, we mean, means be saved thinking. O souls, we means, O souls, O souls, be saved by thinking of the great Aruna Hill, the killer of the souls who shines in the heart. So, yeah, Bhagavan is. Clearly saying, Arunach is that which shines in my heart. He's shining in my heart at that fundamental awareness I am. And thereby, if we turn our attention within, he is, he is we a colleague. he's a the killer of the soul. Um, as uh, Bhagavan says in the later verse of um of Akram, Like, um uh said now just um Kodi it tadeere kolune kati kondeng and barben Um That means kodi uh, itu means uh, hoisting a flag. uh unne that means you who kill devotees, hoisting a flag. Unne uh, kati kondu. Engem So what that means is, Arunachala, embracing you who killed devotees, hoisting a flag, how will I survive? The implication is that is in old days, if a philanthropist was to do some philanthropy, if he was, say, to feed uh, poor people or sadhus or something, to announce that he's, on such and such day he's going to, he's going to feed so many people, He will hoist a flag to announce himself. So Arunachala has hoisted his flag. What has he hoisted his flag to announce? What is the great philanthropy done by Arunachala? He's hoisted his flag to announce, but he will kill those who come to him. So having come to you, having embraced you, how can I survive? So Arunachala is here to kill us, to to destroy the soul. But by destroying the soul, he saves us. That's why Bhagavan says, ought to mean, that, that is, uh, ought to means thinking. Uh, uh, we mean, we mean, means um, be saved. So be, oh souls, be saved by thinking of the great Arana Hill, the killer of the soul who shines in the heart. So this is such an important verse, because in this verse Bhagavan is explaining how the thought of Arunachala works to draw our mind within. That is, Arunachala is always shining in our heart as I am, but because our mind is constantly directed outwards towards things other than ourselves, out of its infinite love and compassion, Arunachala also appears in the form of this great hill, in order to turn our mind back within to face its real form or surupa, which is satchit, our fundamental awareness of our own existence, I am. As he sings in the first uh, verse of uh, Sri Arunach in the first line of the first verse, Arivaru Giriyena Amadharum Amma Adi Sayan Vari That means it sits calmly as a hill. Seemingly bereft of awareness, he doesn't even say seemingly. He said bereft of awareness, but it implies seemingly bereft of awareness. But ah, its action is uh, preeminent or wonderful, difficult for anyone to understand. So, what is the action of our nature that Bhagavan is referring to here? The, the sale is the word he uses here. Sale means doing or action. So the sale of our nature, the doing or action of our nature, is just to be in our heart as it is. But by its mere being, it does all that is necessary to draw our mind back within. Because its being as I am has a powerful magnetic attraction, which may seem imperceptible to us so long as our mind is facing outwards. But which we will become increasingly aware of, to the extent to which we turn back within to face our real nature, Masarupa, which is our nature itself. That is the more. So, so, long as we are looking outwards, we not may not be aware of the powerful magnet that is ever in our heart. The more we look within, the more we will come under the sway of that great magnet, which is this, uh, which is our nature shining in our heart as I. That's why he begins this this verse 10 of, of, um, of, uh, of Arunachala um, Patikam by referring to Arunachala as Kanta Paruvatam. That is this magnetic hill because he is, the, he is the powerful magnet in our heart that is always drawing our mind inwards. That is, the thought of Arunachala comes to us only by his grace. So as soon as we are granted the great blessing of thinking of the name or form of Arunachala even once, we are thereby caught in the web of its grace, as he sings in verses one hundred two and three of Akshamlay. In verse one hundred two, he sings, Dranayan, andranayan, Kani patenum, arul Arunachala, Arunachala. As soon as I thought of." Ar- thought as Arunai. Arunai is the name of Arunachala. I was trapped in the net of your grace. Will, the grace. will the net of your grace ever fail? So as soon as we think of Arunachala, we're caught in his net of grace, and his net of grace will never fail. Bhagavan says, uh, uh, He asks it as a question, but it's a rhetorical question. It means He's, he's assuring us here, the net of Arunachala's grace will never fail. And if we've once thought of Arunachala, we've been trapped in his grace. And in the next verse, he says, What that means is literally, Arunachala, thinking to be trapped in grace, ensnaring and imprisoning like a tiger, like a spider, you have devoured. What that implies is our I'm like a spider that spins a web and it ensnares and devours its prey, uh, thinking or deciding or resolving But I should be trapped in the web of your grace, ensnaring and imprisoning me, you devoured of me. So in verse 102, he's saying, as soon as I thought of you, But in this verse, he's saying, he he says, as soon as you thought to trap me. So why do we think of Arunachala? Because he has thought of us. That is, uh, as Bhagavan often used to say, grace is the beginning, the middle and the end of the spiritual path. It is grace that draws us to the spiritual path. It is grace that leads us and guides us along this path and motivates us to follow this path. And eventually it is grace that will swallow us. So, everything, all the effort we make in spiritual sadhana, in trying to turn our attention within, that effort is driven only by grace. So, we have to think of Him, but we will think of Him only when He thinks of us, when He decides that He's going to save us, then we are finished. Our we are, we are, we are, fate is a foregone conclusion. So, the very fact that He has made us think of Him, means he has decided like a spider he is resolved but he's going to trap us in his grace trap and ensnare us and imprison us and finally he will devour us um, and likewise in verse 70 he says Arunachala, as soon as it doesn't say i but it implies i as soon as i thought of the name Uh, that means your name, uh, implies your name, uh, catching me, you pulled pulled me. Who can understand your greatness? So the literal meaning of that verse is, Arunachala, as soon as thought of the name, catching you pulled. Who can know your greatness? What that implies is, as soon as I thought of your name, catching me, you pulled, drew or dragged or attracted me to you. Who can comprehend your, who can know or comprehend your greatness? So the mere thought of Arunachala is enough to to ensnare us in the the web of his grace. So having thought of Arunachala, we cannot cannot but be saved by him. Therefore, through these and other verses, including this first verse of Akshamla, Bhagavan has openly disclosed Arunachala's sale his his the secret doings, workings, or actions of his grace. As he sings in verse 98, What that means is literally, I have let out your doing, your, your action, without despising, letting out your grace protect me. What that implies is, Arunachya, through these verses, I have let out your actions. In other words, I've openly disclosed all that you craftily and secretly did in my heart in order to save me without despising me for doing so and therefore abandoning me. um, Letting out your grace. That means openly showering your grace. Revealing, or or it can also mean, uh, because veli means, uh, can also mean revealing. Or it can also or it um so can mean uh letting out it can also mean revealing um uh but it can also mean letting letting revealing the space of your grace the infinite space of pure awareness um so showering your grace what it implies is showering your grace openly protect me uh implying by establishing me in the state of uh of Kaivalya, pure absolute isolation or liberation, mukti. Um, so, Bhagavan, through this Akshramla, he's revealed the, the secret workings of Arunachal's grace. So, that's why thinking deeply about the meaning of these verses is so, so important and it will encourage us so much in the spiritual path because we may often feel. But our Bishayabhasanas are so strong, our mind is constantly going outwards. How will we ever make the effort that is necessary to turn within and thereby develop the love to merge in him? But here, through these verses, Bhagavan is revealing to us how nature's grace will work. Having thought of him, he's trapped him, us in his... We, we have thought of him, so he has trapped us in his grace, and he will never fail in his work. So, to all these verses, he's explaining the, the aral sale, the, the work of Arunacha's grace. However, nowhere has he revealed the secret of Arunachra's sale or action as clearly and explicitly as he has done in this 10th verse of Arunacha Patikam, because in the second sentence of this verse, what he sings is, orutarum. Uh, Idhane or tidum we ring sheshteye or ki orutanadu abimukkamaha e tu a day tambol achalmar chedu ib inuir valikollum um what this means is subduing the mischievous activities, sheshtei, sheste, sheste well shete is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word sheshte. Um in, in, in Sanskrit, just means activity, but in Tamil, it also had the meaning of mischievous activity. So it's referring here to the, the mental activity. Mental activity is always mischievous because it's always taking our attention away from ourselves. Uh, so subduing the mischievous activity, implying mental activity, of the soul who thinks of it even once, pulling it to face towards itself, the one, and thereby making it motionless like itself, it accepts that sweet soul as sacrificial offering. What he implies thereby is as follows. Firstly, when we think of Arunacha even once, it it will begin to subdue our sheshtey, the mischievous movement or activity of our mind, which implies the outward-going movement or activity of our mind. So since our mind goes outward under the sway of our vishaya vasanas, that is our inclinations to uh, seek happiness outside ourselves in vishayas, in objects or phenomena, which are the impurities in the mind, we can infer that Arunacharya subdues our outward-going movements or activities by purifying our mind which means by reducing the strength of our vishaya vāsanas. And the more we think of our with love in our heart, the more our mind will thereby be purified. Secondly, to the extent that our mind is purified and its outward going momentum is thereby reduced, we will thereby come under the sway and attraction of the inward-pulling magnetic power of our who is the one unique awareness but shines eternally and immutably in our heart as I am. And thus it will draw us inwards to be tanadu abimukkum, um, <coughs> facing towards itself, which means being which means to be self attentive. That is, since his true form is that which is shiny in our heart as ourselves, Mukum means facing towards. Tanadu means. Um it can mean one's well, it means his own, or or it can mean one's own. In other words, facing towards himself, who is ourself, we can we 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 have to understand it to mean. So he, he but he first he he weakens the Vishavasanas and thereby subdues the going activity of our mind, thereby he, uh, he, he, we, we come under the sway of that magnetic pull in our heart that draws our mind within to face him alone. Um, uh, and by thus pulling us inwards to be self-attentive, our natural will make us motionless like itself, meaning that we will be established firmly in the state of just being as we actually are. This is the same that Bhagavan said in verse 9 of Upadesh Undia, by the strength of, uh, of by bhava-balatina, by the strength of bhava, that means by the strength of the ananya bhava, by the strength of self-attentiveness, being in Sat Bhava. So by pulling our attention within to face himself alone, he thereby establishes us firmly in the state of just being as we actually are. Um, In accordance with what he says in that verse nine, um, by the strength of meditation, um, being in Satbhava, which transcends Bhavana. Um, And finally, since our mind or soul will have been made perfectly right by this process of grace, as soon as we become motionless like itself, our natural will accept us as a sweet Bali. Bali means food that's offered in sacrifice meaning that he will swallow us, making us inseparably one with him, with itself. So this is how Arunachala roots out the egos of those who think of it even once. So whether we start off by thinking of Arunachala as something other than ourselves, or we go directly to thinking of Arunachala as that which is shining in our heart as I, he... Wherever we start our journey, the goal is the same. Because if we think of him as a of him in name and form, he will he will he will thereby subdue our mental activity, draw our mind within to face himself alone. That is to face our own real nature, which is his true form, and thereby he will make us motions like himself and feed upon us. So, whether we it's best, if we if we understand that Arunachit is that which is shining in her heart as I, the best way to think of him is to meditate on him only as I. In other words, to meditate on I alone, to be self-attentive. But if we still like to think of him as a form outside, even then it will have the same effect ultimately, because he will unfailingly draw our mind within. So, in this verse, Bhagavan explains how by making us think of itself within our heart, Arunachya leads us naturally and seamlessly from Baba, the state in which we consider it to be Anya or Abhaban ourself, to Ananya Baba, the state in which we clearly understand it to be Ananya, not Abhaban ourself, and um, therefore meditate on it only as I, with intense love. Because it is only by the strength of such intensely loving ananyabhava or self attentiveness that ego will be eradicated. As I explained earlier, ahate berarupai means you will eradicate or root out ego or mind. And the ver in berarupai means root, foundation, or cause, which is a very significant uh, word in the context, in this context, for two reasons. Firstly, veraru means to cut the root, root out or eradicate. So it implies annihilation or complete destruction in such a way that ego can never rise again, even to the slightest extent. Secondly, ego is the root of the vast tree of samsāra. Uh, Samsara means embodied existence and it includes all and all the suffering it entails and its concomitant, long perpetuating cycle of birth and death. So samsara will end only when this root is cut, eradicated and removed entirely. Since all phenomena seem to exist only in the view of our self as ego, ego is the root cause and foundation of all phenomena, as Bhagavan implies in verse 26 of ullad What he says in this verse is, Ahande undahum. If ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego comes into existence, if ego does not exist, everything does not exist. yabamam. <inaudible> ego itself is everything. Adalal yadu idu yabam ovadal or. Therefore, know that investigating what this ego is, alone is giving up everything. Investigating what this ego is, in other words, who am I, alone is giving up everything because everything else will be given up only when ego is given up. And the nature of ego is to live, endure and flourish by grasping things other than itself, but to subside and dissolve back into its source by trying to grasp itself, as he implies in verse 25 of Uludunapadu. Uh, the previous verse, that is. I mean, I've just read verse 26. Verse 25 is one that precedes that. Um, what he says in this verse, he in the final line of this verse, he describes ego as uruvatrapeyahande. Uruvatrapeyahande means uh, form, formless phantom ego. Um, and what he says about it is, urupatri undam, Grasping form, it comes into existence. Urupatri uh, nikkom. Grasping form, it stands. Urupatri uh, undu mika ongum. Grasping and feeding on form, it flourishes abundantly. Uruvittu uh, urupatrum. Leaving form, it grasps form. Te otum pidikom. If sought, it will take flight. Since ego is a formless phantom, all the forms it grasps are things other than itself. So, what Bhagavan implies here by grasping form is attending to anything other than ourselves. So, so long as we are attending to anything other than ourselves, we are thereby nourishing and feed and, and sustaining ego. So, it's only, only when instead of grasping other things, we try to grasp ourselves but ego will subside and dissolve back into its source, as he implies when he says Te Dinal This is why ego can be eradicated only by turning its entire attention back towards itself to see who am I. As he implies unequivocally in verse 27 of Uludunapidu by asking rhetorically, Nān udikum tāna tan nādāmal, which literally means without investigating the place where I rises, namely our, the fundamental awareness I am, which is the source from which one has risen as ego, the false awareness I am this body. Um, that, that is, that's what he implies by saying a place where I rises. So without investigating the place where I rises, how to reach the annihilation of oneself in which I does not rise. Um, and this is so. This is why thinking of Arunachala as something other than I, Anya Baba, must therefore lead us eventually to thinking of it as I alone, Ananya Baba. The uniqueness of the name and form of Arunachala is that it has a special power to bring us to bring about this crucial change by working from within, working from deep within our heart to draw our attention back within, to face towards its true form or swarupa, namely our fundamental awareness I am, as Bhagavan explained in verse 10 of uh, Arunachala Patikam, which I discussed earlier. What we as ego can and must do is turn our attention back within to face ourself alone, thereby surrendering ourselves entirely to Arunachala, but the actual eradication of ego can be affected only by uh, by arunachala, as Bhagavan implies by saying, Ahate be Arupai, you will eradicate ego. That is, as he says in verse 21 of Uludunapdu, Unaadal Khan becoming food is seeing, thereby implying that we can see or know our natural, which is what we actually are, only by being swallowed by it. By our turning our entire attention back within, we are offering ourselves as food to our natural. Uh, and when we attend to ourselves keenly enough, we will thereby sink into the innermost depth of our heart. We will, so to speak, will enter the the, the cave where the lion is, is waiting for us. Uh, and so there we will be swallowed by the infinite clarity of pure awareness, which is Arunachala Swarupa, the real nature of Arunachala. Uh, so from this first verse of Aksharamlai, we can see how perfectly this love song Complements Bhagavan's other more obviously philosophical poems such as Uludunapdu, Upadesha Undi, and Anma As I said at the beginning, he concludes Uludunapdu by saying in verse 40, Ahande Uru Aridal Mukti, where ego form perishing or being destroyed is Mukti, liberation. And he begins Akram by saying in this verse, Ahate Be Rarupayaranachala, you will eradicate ego. So eradication of ego is the central theme and sole aim of all his teachings. And we can say, but where Udunabdu ends, Aksramlai begins. So from this verse and from so many other verses of um of, of we can understand, but that in some of Bhagavan's works, he's talking from a more obviously physical, philosophical perspective. Uh, in in actuality, the, the philosophy behind the philosophy behind it is is less obvious, but it's very much there. And if we understand, in order to understand these. The, the deep meaning of these verses, the deep meaning and implication of these verses, we have to understand the philosophy that Bhagavan teaches us in verses, uh, in, in his other works, like Oludunapadu and India*. And Bhagavan's philosophy is an extremely practical philosophy. That, that is, philosophy without practice is... is is next to useless philosophy the purpose of philosophy is to is, that is uh, the true benefit we can get from philosophy is to understand that as Bhagavan teaches us the only thing worth knowing is ourself before knowing any other thing we first need to know ourselves. so um there's actually a huge amount of philosophy in akshara but it's less obvious. And from the, but from, if we understand the meaning of akshara in the light of Bhagavan's other teachings, we will see that love and philosophy are not only complementary, but also inseparable. Because love is the, motive, the motivating force beh- behind any real philosophy. The very word philosophy uh, derives from the ancient Greek philosophia, which is usually tran- uh, said to mean love of wisdom, but actually it means loving wisdom, that is, having love for wisdom. Um, uh, Since wisdom, in its deepest and purest form, is the infinite clarity of pure awareness that alone remains when ego is eradicated, this love song. Whose sole aim is the eradication of ego and seeing what remains is philosophy of the deepest and most sublime variety. One of the Sanskrit terms for philosophy is darshana, which means view or seeing. Um, The reason philosophy is called view or seeing, it can be explained in several ways. One of them is that different, there are many, there are many. Um, different uh, philosophies in India. Um, uh, that is the, the so-called Astika philosophies, or those that accept the Vedas, and the philosophies. So there are various ways in which these different philosophies are classified, but it's sometimes said that there are 12. That is materialism, Jainism, four types of Buddhism, Um we these both both are, the are nastika philosophies but both that don't accept the vedas and but those that do accept the authority of the vedas include um nyaya which is the uh basically the philosophy of logic and vaisheshika which is the, a pluralistic philosophy um and sankhya which is a dualistic philosophy subject object dualism and yoga which is a set of practices based on the Sankhya philosophy, and um, and um, Purva Mimamsa, which is a, a way of interpreting the, the ritual portions of the Vedas, and Uttra Mimamsa or, or Vedanta, which is the interpretation of the philosophical portions of the Vedas. So all these different philosophical viewpoints—they are called. Uh, darshanas because they're different viewpoints, but there's also a deeper reason why philosophy is called dashana, because the ultimate aim of all philosophy is tattva dashana seeing what is real. Um, <coughs> seeing is here used in the sense of directly knowing or experiencing what is real. So this is what philosophy is all about. And what, what is real is what actually exists. So when Bhagavan says in the first uh, sentence of the seventh paragraph of Nana, yatātamai ulladu mandre, what actually exists is only atmasarupā, he implies that we ourselves, we ourselves as we actually are, alone are what is real. He confirms this in the first sentence of, uh, of verse 13 of Ulladu napadu, in which he says, "Nyanamam tāne me." oneself who is jnana alone is real. And also in verse 43 of Akshramlai, in which he says, Tane, Tane, Tattvum, Idane, Tane, Kartuvayaranachala. The first sentence of this verse can be interpreted in two ways Tane, Tane, Tatvam, uh, We can, Tane, Tane means oneself. Tane is an intensified form of oneself. So Tane Tan means oneself alone is oneself. So Tane Tane Tatvum, oneself alone is oneself. In other words, I alone am I. That alone is the reality. That's one way we can interpret it. We can also take the repetition of Tane to be a repetition for, um, for emphasizing oneself alone. One self alone is the tatva but whichever way we take it whether we take it to mean oneself alone is oneself is tatva or oneself alone oneself alone is tatva they both amount to the same thing what is the real tatva it is only our ourselves nothing other than our ourselves is tatva tatva mean tatva literally means thatness uh, so uh, um, uh, Tattva is a term that is used to mean what is real, what actually exists. Um, so oneself alone is oneself. Alone is the reality. Or oneself alone, oneself alone is the reality. That's what, what Tane Tane Tattva means. And then Bhagavan sings, Idhane Tane katva um, That means, um, show me this yourself. Um, so, show me this yourself means um, you, you yourself show this to me. That is, he has to reveal himself to us. He will reveal himself to us only to the extent to which we look within. So, we need to look within, and then he will reveal himself to us. And by revealing himself to us, he will thereby annihilate ego. So, um, from from these passages of Bhagavan's teachings, we can we can understand but svarupadarsana alone is Tatvadashana. Svarupadarsana means seeing ourselves as we actually are, seeing our real nature, and tattvadarsana means seeing what is real. What is real is only our own nature. So how to see what is real? We have to see our own nature. This is what he implies in verse 16 of Upadesha Saram. Uh, drisya varitum Chittamatmanaha, atmanaha That means, actually, when I wrote this in this ashram, I didn't quite understand the meaning of Drisya-Varitam. I took it to mean what is seen warded off, but the actual meaning of Drisya-Varitam is withdrawn from or or, um, kept back from Drisya. That means the mind kept back from Drisya is the implication. Kept back from Drisya, the mind seeing its own awareness is seeing what is real. Its own awareness means its chitva means um, its awareness or knowingness. That implies its fundamental, its real nature as pure awareness. So, only when the mind sees its own nature as awareness is seeing that is seeing what is real. Because what is real is our own nature as awareness. In order to see our own chitva, pure awareness, which is our self as we actually are, we need to turn back. And look deep within ourselves. As he says in verse 44 of Sri Aranachaksram Lai. tirambiyaham Dinam Aham uh, sorry. Tirambi aham Tane Dinam Ahakankan Teriyum indranayan Arunachala. In this verse, Bhagavan is revealing to us what he was taught by Arunachala. Um uh, Uh, that, that is the meaning of this verse is Arunachala what meaning what here implies what a wonder um you said uh turning back inside see yourself daily with the inner eye um in Arunachala can mean Arunachala what it can also mean my Arunachala it's got double meaning there um as, but we can take what in the sense of what a wonder. So, what did our naturalist say to Bhagavan? He said, turning back inside. Tirambi uh, here, here aham is used in the sense of inside. Um, turning back inside, Tanne uh, uh dinam ahakankan. See see yourself daily with the inner eye. Daily here means implies constantly or persistently. Um Terium, it will be known. What will be known? It will be known, the tattva, the tattva, which is I am I, or uh, Tane Tane. Um, So uh, Arunacharya obviously didn't teach Bhagavan in words, but Arunacharya teaches only through silence. So Bhagavan, because we are too, our outward going minds are too dull, to understand the silent teaching of Bhagavan, Arunach- sorry, the silent teaching of Arunachala, Arunachala itself appeared in the form of Bhagavan in order to reveal to us what Arunachala is always revealing through silence. What he's revealing through silence is turning back inside, see yourself constantly with the inner eye or with an inward look, it, uh, that implies. <laughs> literally means inner eye, but it implies the inward facing look. So, in order to look deep within ourselves, um, you know, in order to look so deep within ourselves but we see what we actually are and thereby eradicate ego, we must be willing to give up everything else entirely and forever, as he implies in verse 26 of Uludunapdu. So, this requires all consuming love to know and to be what we actually are. Therefore, if any one thing qualifies as true love for wisdom, philosophia, this is certainly it, because nothing else comes close to it in terms of the depth and intensity of love that it requires. So this is philosophy, this is philosophy in its truest and deepest sense. The language of love poetry is the most suitable means to give voice to this deep and subtle philosophy. And nowhere is this language used more effectively than in this song of pure self-effacing love. This language may not be understood by all who consider themselves to be philosophers, because many such people have a very narrow and limited understanding of what philosophy actually is. So they believe that philosophy is primarily concerned with reasoning, logic and conceptual analysis. These are, of course, important and necessary tools of philosophy, but they are relatively elementary tools and are useful only at a more superficial level. But real wisdom cannot be found at the superficial level of conceptual understanding and clarity, but only in a much deeper clarity of pure awareness, which can be found only in the depth of one's own heart. If used correctly and wisely, as Bhagavan used them to masterful effect, reasoning, logic, and conceptual analysis can help to point us in the right direction, showing us why real and certain knowledge can be found only by, by um, cannot cannot be found by any form of objective or outward looking investigation, but only in, by investigating who am I, the subject who knows all other things. Reasoning, logic and conceptual analysis are tools that can be used to justify an extremely wide variety of divergent views, as can be seen from the huge diversity of different and often quite contradictory views and uh, conclusions that philosophers have arrived at from ancient times to the present day. So there is some other factor besides reasoning, logic and conceptual analysis that determines what each philosopher decides to believe. That other factor is their own likes and dislikes. That is, we each believe what we want to believe, and we use reasoning and logic to justify whatever we want to believe. Philosophers may be more skillful than others in using these tools to justify whatever they want to believe. But in the final analysis, what they believe is determined by what they want to believe, rather than by these tools of their trade the will, or chittam, is more subtle and therefore more powerful than the intellect or buddhi. So the intellect is a tool driven by will rather than vice versa. Though it is true that a, a judicious and wise use of our intellect can help us to direct our will in the right direction. That is, if we, if we, if we allow our intellect to be influenced by Bhagavan's teachings, if we listen closely if we pay close attention to to what he says and we think about it deeply by logical reasoning we will we will come to the conclusion that what bhagavan says is right and that therefore we should seek knowledge by looking within so but we can use the buddhi, but it needs to be used uh, it needs to be gui- guided wisely And the the, the main force driving the intellect is the will, where that we we direct our will, we, we direct our intellect in the line in which our will wants it to go. Hence, our will is ultimately what determines whatever we decide to believe. Therefore, any philosopher who fails to recognize the crucial role that their will plays in shaping their philosophy, is not a very deep or perceptive philosopher. Only if we understand the crucial role that our will plays in shaping our view of ourself and everything else, will we begin to see why the language of love is a deeper philosophical language than the language of logical reasoning. Logical reasoning has an important role to play in any philosophical investigation, but love has a much deeper and more impactful role to play the crucial role played by love will become clear to us to the extent to which our philosophical investigation becomes deep and inward facing. So its role becomes most obvious to anyone who has clearly understood that all philosophical investigation must ultimately lead to self-investigation which is the deepest and most important investigation of all, and who consequently tries in earnest to investigate who am I by looking deep within their own heart. We can go deep in this path of self-investigation only to the extent to which we have love to surrender ego and thereby to know and to be what we actually are. And it is only to the extent that we truly have such love but we will be able to understand the profound importance, value, meaning and implication of this supreme love song, Sri Arunach Akshara So this is such an important work of Bhagavan. We cannot truly understand Bhagavan's teachings without understanding Akshara To the extent to which we understand Bhagavan's teachings, we will be able to understand Aksramlai. And to the extent to which we understand Akshram Lai, we'll be able to understand all of the rest of Bhagavan's teachings. So this Arunacha Akshram Lai, this is the very heart of Bhagavan's teachings. These are Bhagavan's very deepest teachings are given here uh, in akshram Lai. And also this akshram Lai is. I, as I think I mentioned last time, Akshram Lai is the practical impl- the, the, the practical implementation of all of Bhagavan's teachings. That is, when we actually put Bhagavan's teachings into practice, trying to turn our attention within, we face so many obstacles in the form of our own Vishabhasanas. So Arunacha ar- like is how t- teaches us how to win this battle between our satvasana, our love just to be as we actually are, and our vishaya vasanas, our our inclination to continue seeking happiness outside where there is no happiness at all to be found. So this Akshara is an extremely important work. Just from this first verse alone, we can see how much very... A profound meaning there is in Aksaramlay, and how intimately it's connected with all of the rest of Bhagavan's teachings. So, um, I don't know how long it is going to take me to get through all the other verses of Aksaramlay. Even if we proceed slowly, even if some days like today I spend, I go over time in talking about the the the, the meaning of the, of any of these verses. It is well worth it because this is such an important text. And to the extent to which we can understand this text, we are coming close to understanding what Bhagavan's teachings are really all about. They're about surrendering ourselves completely and thereby annihilating ego. And we can surrender ourselves only to the extent to which we are willing to give. Sur- Give, to give up everything else so it requires supreme love. Parabhakti tattva, the ultimate love is nothing but turning within and surrendering ourselves at the feet of Arunachala. That is what Akshara Lai is all about. Om Namo bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya.